This is People Every Day. Coming up, shining a light on the crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous women in this country. What everyone should know and what's finally being done about it. Plus, rock star Chris Daughtry reacts to the death of his stepdaughter and Taylor Swift's past relationships heating up the internet again. It's November 16th. Hi, folks. This is People Every Day, and I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein. It is Tuesday, and I got to start things off talking about Clooney. You faithful listeners know that that's the name of my nine-year-old salt-and-pepper Pekingese Bichon, also known as the sexiest dog alive. But today, I want to get into the news about his equally hot human namesake, Mr. George Clooney. The 60-year-old star went on the WTF with Mark Marin podcast and spilled the beans about life with wife Amal and their twins and much more. Take a listen to what he said about suddenly going from sworn bachelor to family man. Listen, I, I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have kids. And then this extraordinary human being walked into my life and I just, I fell madly in love. And I knew from the minute I met her that Everything was going to be different. And then there's what he said when discussing the recent shooting death on the set of Rust. It was so interesting to hear his take and how he approaches filming gun scenes. He said, quote, every single time I'm handed a gun on set, I look at it, I open it, I show it to the person I'm pointing it to, I show it to the crew. Well, Clooney, it should be noted, was close friends with actor Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, who died after being shot on set back in 1993. Okay, well, you know I love me some George Clooney, but it's time to move on to some other headlines. And people's Sarah Michaud is here to take me through it. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Janine. How are you? Good, good. So before we get into some lighter stuff, I did want to talk about one serious story, the sad news of rock star Chris Daughtry's 25-year-old stepdaughter, Hannah. She was found dead in her Tennessee home on Friday. This is heart-wrenching. Sarah, can you share what we know of this story so far? Yeah, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. She was found dead in her home um, outside of Nashville on Friday. The authorities have opened a death investigation. Um, Autopsy is being conducted, and we're hoping to hear back on a cause of death by the Mm. end of the week. But the toxicology is probably going to take a little bit longer. Her boyfriend is in custody, but it has not been released if this is related to her death or something else. The DA in Tennessee said that this is a death investigation and any attempt to classify it as a homicide investigation at this time is premature and irresponsible. For what it's worth, the cops did say that they believe it's a homicide. But oh, wow. Okay. They are looking into that further at this, at this time. Uh, have we heard from the family at all? Has Daughtry responded? Yes. Um, he actually ended up canceling his tour dates. Uh, he and Hannah were very close. He has been raising her since she was quite young. Um, he said that he is absolutely devastated and heartbroken and revealed that his mom had actually died of cancer last week. Um, and that he was able to say goodbye to her, but he has not had the same chance with his daughter, Hannah, and that it's a huge hit to their family. Mm, So terrible. Well, we'll have to see what more comes out of that story and investigation. Uh, Moving on to all the buzz about Miss Taylor Swift's X-Files that are now being 
taken out of the vault and poured over once again. To note, the 31-year-old superstar is still very happily with 30-year-old actor boyfriend Joe Alwyn, who she's been dating for five years now. Wow. But it's those exes that everyone's talking about thanks to her re-recorded version of the Red Album that hit last week, as well as two new Easter egg-filled videos, including one during her SNL performance on Saturday. So both of those videos, All Too Well and I Bet You Think About Me, are believed to be about Jake Gyllenhaal, right, who she dated briefly in 2010. His name has been all over social media since the SNL video, along with another one of Taylor's exes, John Mayer, who actually responded to some vitriol from a few of Swift's fans. So Sarah, there's a lot here. First, can you remind us of Gyllenhaal and Swift's relationship? Yeah, so they dated, as you said, for a few months at the end of 2010. They were seen out and about in New York. They went upstate together for Thanksgiving that year, which she hinted about in her song All Too Well. From the lyrics of the 10-minute version, we're learning that um, they broke up because of their age gap. Um, She was 20 and he was 29 at the time. The relationship played out heavily in her songwriting on Red. Um, she, on All Too Well, she references a sister that many believe to be Maggie Gyllenhaal. Wait, so this is all just, I love this. She can go back and re-record an album, put it out, and it creates the same buzz, the same juice that it did from the very first squeeze. I, I love it. And then why, can you tell me why Dionne Warwick is weighing into this, please? Just- yes, so <laughs> one of the lyrics in All Too Well references a scarf that Taylor left at someone's sister's place. So a lot of people think that is referring to Jake and Maggie and that it is still in his drawer, that he still has it. Um, (laughs) Some Swifties have dug up photos of Jake and Taylor walking with Taylor wearing a particular scarf and then months later, Jake wearing the same scarf. So they believe it is the scarf. Oh. Um, And so what did Queen Dion say? Yes. So she told him that it is time to return the scarf. It's, it has made a reappearance in the short film for All Too Well. And it also is in the second video that she's released from this album, I Bet You Think About Me. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the, the short film for All Too Well came out on Friday. Um, and then on Monday, she released this I Bet You Think About Me, which features her crashing the wedding of an ex who was played by Miles Teller and his bride, who's played by Miles' real-life wife. Um, the film or the video was directed by Blake Lively. Uh, oh. it, is, it is very, very red. Um, there are a few <laughs> Easter eggs uh, within that video, as there always are with everything Taylor. There's a scene that features Taylor kind of grabbing at the cake. And as we look closer at the cake, we realize there's different symbolism. Um, we have an equal sign, which is apparently teasing Taylor's upcoming collaboration with Ed Sheeran. There are birds, which people think references 1989, and that they're assuming that perhaps that means she's going to record that mm. one next. Okay, well, one more ex who's popped up in headlines is John Mayer. It's long been rumored that the song Dear John um, is about him. And even though Taylor's re-record isn't out yet, fans have started kind of, you know, talking about him, putting him in the ether, and some even harassing him. So, and he actually responded. What did, what did he say? Yeah, this kind of highlighted the darker side of Stan culture. He had been getting some DMs from 
some Swifties who are taking it a little too far. Um, this mm-hmm. one particular person told him to F himself and that they hoped that he choked on something. John did Ugh. respond to that and said that he's been getting many messages like this in the past couple of days that he's not upset and that he just tends to have a curious mind and he felt compelled to ask if this person really hopes that he dies. Um, mm. So the Instagram user immediately apologized and said that they hoped that he wasn't too offended. He says he wasn't. He just wanted to understand why people are sending messages like this to him without yeah. taking into account that he might see it and might be affected by it. Um, he said that it's 100% okay, um, but that person did share the messages online, said that they were 15 and asked that they not be attacked. Oh, my goodness. I, I've never seen that play out in that way. That's, like, one, so mature on his part, um, but also... If you love someone like Taylor Swift or anybody, like, you know, put love out there, not not any hate. Uh, well, we can't move on without talking about the scrutiny around her relationships, which is sexist in its own way. We can just call it that. Swift is in a very long-term relationship. She's also still friends with exes Joe Jonas and Harry Styles. And in 2019, she opened up to Vogue saying that she wished she told her younger self that she'd date normally in her 20s, but still become a, quote, national lightning rod for slut shaming. Uh, So what do you make of that? I mean, I do think she did get more attention than was was perhaps needed at the time when she was just trying to be a normal woman in her 20s, going on dates and trying to find her person. She has since said that she used to do like the little messages in her uh, liner notes about who songs Mm -hmm. were about and the little teases and stuff. And she has stopped doing that um, because she felt like maybe it contributed um, to this narrative that she did not want to be a part of. Next up, People Crime Editor Elaine Aradias is here to take us into the startling numbers and stories of Indigenous women gone missing. Stick around. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. I am back now to dig into a story we've been talking about doing for a long time now. Yesterday, President Biden signed an executive order directing federal agencies to create a strategy to address what he called a crisis of violence against Native Americans. At its core, thousands of missing and murdered indigenous women. The new order gives three federal agencies, the Department of Justice, Department of Interior, and Department of Homeland Security, 240 days to come up with a plan to address violence in indigenous communities. There's a lot at play here. And thankfully, People's Elaine Aradias is here and well-read on this topic. She led our coverage on the crisis in Indian country earlier this month and joins me now to talk about it. Hi, Elaine. Hi. 
Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for, for working on this and being able to speak to it. You helped put together a really moving package on missing and murdered Indigenous women for the magazine. So before we dig into some of the families you spoke to, what do we know about the number of missing and murdered women and girls? We know that the numbers are underreported. Most recently, the FBI has about 1,500 Native people reported missing Mm -hmm. when, in fact, the number is probably closer to 5,000. The thing is, that number comes from 2016. So we don't even report these numbers fast enough. Police departments on Native lands, they're understaffed. And, you know, there might be one person for the entire area trying to deal with crimes. You know, what we're accustomed to in terms of police, they're not allowed on Native land. Even calling 911, where does that call go to if you're on a reservation? Got it. And would you say, just in covering this, that you've gotten the sense that because of all of those issues, this community or these communities might be preyed upon for those very reasons. They completely are because women and Native communities do not get treated well. There's a higher rate of violence, higher rate of sex crimes. You know, you're dealing with high poverty, all sorts of social issues that are contributing to this problem. And Natives have been dealing with the number one perception of Natives is to erase them. The representation of Native Americans in our society and our popular culture has always been erasure. So what have these communities asked for from the federal government to address these very present dangers and issues? And what types of things do you think they'd recommend to agencies now tasked with trying to fix this problem? Well, there's been a grassroots movement in terms of being recognized, and the missing and murdered Indigenous women is a movement. You know, they're getting people to talk about it. It has actually been growing. And I think one of the most amazing things that is going to help is the fact that Deb Holland, who is Secretary of the Interior, she is Native, and she is now sitting at the table. And so she can talk about all of the things that they need. They need resources. They need recognition. They need partnerships between jurisdictions. You know, let's begin there and recognize that this person is missing. You know, in the project that we did, there's one woman by the name of Ida Beard. And the first thing that police asked her family was, did she do drugs? Was she an alcoholic? Was she into sex trafficking? Who's into sex trafficking? And that and that's just one of many. If 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 you would just take me into take me into another story. I, I just want to give these names some air. Right. Another woman is Alyssa McLemore. She went missing in 2009. She was 21 years old and a mother of a three-year-old. And she was 
taking care of her mother who was dying. And um, her grandmother calls and says, we're getting to the end. You need to come home right now. She says, I'm on my way. She never makes it home. Instead, they're expecting her to walk through the door and police from Kent, Washington are there. And they're looking for Alyssa because they had received a 911 call. Alyssa on the tape was screaming. I mean, they said it's a piercing sound. She was screaming for help. You can hear a man telling her to come here. You can clearly hear the man saying the last words on the tape was all her child. Oh, my God. They never heard from Alyssa again. Her mother ended up passing away three days later. No one has been able to find anything related to who that man's voice was. And, you know, Alyssa's daughter is 16 years old, and they're afraid she's going to have to continue the fight to look for her mother. Um, You know, speaking with Alyssa's aunt, it was just so emotional. They feel like no one's looking for her. But what's so amazing is that when we ran this story, it got shared through the Native communities over and over just because we were saying their names, we were recognizing their stories. That was People Crime Editor Elaine Aradias on her investigation into missing Indigenous women in this country. For more on this story, head over to People.com. And now, something to make you smile. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be? I toggled between magazine writer and Whitney Houston. (laughs) For a little girl, she wants to fill the seat of POTUS and is already giving President Biden a run for his money while she intelligently mapped out her agenda for world peace on recess therapy hosted by Julian Shapiro Barnum. She also included a very important notion that I think all foodies would enjoy. I do like tacos, so maybe on like Tuesdays I'd let like some people gather around and have a feast. (laughs) And just like that, on this here Taco Tuesday, she gets my vote. Talk to you all tomorrow.